Heavenly Father, thanks uh, that you um, have blessed us with uh, a church family to be part of. Thanks that you've blessed us with um, uh, a bunch of us for the chance to go away for the weekend. Uh, Lord, thank you that we can gather again tonight and hear from your word. And we pray now that as we um, as we read it together, that you might uh, speak to us, uh, that we might uh, see uh, the great privilege and responsibility that uh, there is of being your people. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, someone, a, a famous philosopher once said, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Does anyone know who that was? No. Sorry? No, he didn't say that. Who said it? Sorry? Oh, you, sorry? Uncle Ben, thank you. Um, does, I, have not seen, I have not seen any of the Spider-Man or any of the Marvel. Does anyone think less of me as a person for that? Uh, yeah. um, with great power comes great responsibility. Why? Well, because power and authority can be used for great good. Uh, uh, think power and authority. Uh, the police have power and authority and they can use it to prevent crime. Uh, parents can uh, use their power and authority to defend and protect and look after their children uh, think of the COVID lockdown that we had last year. The government it wielded incredible power. Uh, you, the government has not exerted such power over its population outside of wartime, uh, and they did it, on the most part, for good, uh, to stamp out COVID to, to save lives and livelihoods. Uh, but the same power and authority, it can be used for great evil, can't it? Uh, we know power can be abused in them and have the most devastating consequences. Think about when someone uses their physical power and strength to impose their will on someone who is vulnerable and weak. Uh, think of wars that are fought between nations because of pride and greed and bitterness. Think of the abuse that takes place when someone uh, makes use of their position of authority either uh, uh, for their own gain, whether they be a, a politician or a parent or even, tragically, sometimes even a pastor. You see, with great power comes great responsibility, and Uncle Ben was right. Uh, the leadership of Israel at the time of the prophet Micah, they would have done well to heed his advice. Uh, today we're continuing in chapter 3 of the book of Micah, and we're going to see that the Israelite leaders, well, they had been abusing their power. Uh, the rulers and the judges, the prophets and the priests, they were all guilty of gross injustice. Uh, the rulers first, the secular kind of government leaders, those with the job of leading God's people and judging between God's people and establishing justice for God's people. Have a look at what Micah says to them in chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and their flesh from their bones who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. I've got to say, that's one of the most confronting images in the whole Bible. Um, but here these leaders, they should know justice. They should know right and wrong. They, but instead, they hate what is good and love what is evil, says Micah. And so it means that they prey upon the people that they're in their care. They, they prey upon those that they should be looking after. And it's a horrible image. It's a, it's, they're like vicious cannibals abusing God's people for their own benefit. 
They're feeding off the people of God. They're devouring them rather than providing for them and protecting them. These leaders of God's people, they're allowing injustice. They're they're corrupt to the core rather than bringing and upholding justice and upholding God's laws. So that's the secular leaders. Now the religious leaders, the prophets and priests, they were also abusing their power. Uh, It was their job to remind God's people of God's word and to uh, 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 to lead God's people in right worship of him. But in verse 5, well, they're no better than the secular leaders. Verse 5, this is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat. But prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Uh, the prophets in Micah's day, they would preach for money. Uh, pay them and they'll proclaim peace for you. Don't pay them and they will declare war against you. Uh, A modern equivalent might be the pastor who preaches for money. Sow a seed by giving money to me and God will bring blessing in your life. If you don't, well, God's blessing is going to fall somewhere else. Here we had prophets that they they weren't interested in the truth. The only thing it says they were interested in was lining their own pockets. And they've neglected their duty to God's people and they, Micah says, have led God's people away from him. They've led God's people astray. And so what they do is they overlook sin and they overlook injustice and they don't warn God's people of the coming judgment. Instead, they, play, they say, peace, everything is fine. They say, you keep doing what you're doing. You be you, nothing to worry about. God is not going to judge. But if you are here last week, you saw the exact opposite is going to happen, isn't it? But power abused leads to judgment, Micah says. Power abused leads to judgment. And here, through the prophet Micah, God is exposing the rulers and the prophets and the priests. He's exposing them exactly for who they are. Have a look in verse 9 with me. Verse 9. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for God's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come among us. You see, all these leaders, they're guilty of this abuse of power and the particular abuse that they're guilty of is that of corruption. They're greedy. They judge for a bribe. They teach for a price. They tell fortunes for money. Uh, They've despised justice. They've distorted the truth. They've even spilt blood. These are leaders who've used their power and their position to feather their own nest look after themselves rather than those that they were there to care for. I was reading this week uh, about a judge in uh, America who, um, uh, who he was a, a kind of a, a children's court judge and he was notorious for sending kids to jail f- uh, for, for relatively minor offences. So someone was caught trespassing in a vacant lot, someone was uh, brought to court for um, offending their teacher online and they got sent to prison. Uh, they reckon over 4,000 kids have got overly harsh sentences by this judge. Do you know why he did it? They worked out why he did it. It was a private company that ran the local juvenile prison. And that company had paid him over a million dollars in bribes. They called it the Kids for Cash scandal. A horrible injustice. A disgusting picture of greed. And that's like what's going on here in Micah. That judge ended up uh, in prison for 28 years himself for abuse of power, abuse of his position, 
using his position for greed. But power abused will be judged. And Micah says the same thing here to the leaders of Israel. Their abuse of power leads to God's judgment on them. Have a look in verse 12 of chapter 3. Therefore, because of you, you leaders of Israel, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. You see, they thought they could do whatever they wanted and God would not get angry. They didn't think that God was going to take their sin seriously. There would be no consequences for their actions, but they couldn't be more wrong. God will deal with their wickedness. He will bring judgment and justice. He will deal with their abuse, even at great cost to himself. The destruction of his own city, Jerusalem, and his own temple. And there's a warning for us here too, isn't there? God says, those who abuse power, well, there's going to be judgment. And that's as true for us as it was for them. Which means that if you're someone who has been abused, if someone has used their position of power to abuse you, to take advantage of you, well, if we look around the world and we see the great injustices as people abuse their positions to oppress others, Micah says, God will bring judgment. God will bring justice. We may not experience perfect justice in this world, but justice will come. Because power abused brings justice. So there is comfort if you've been a victim. But the flip side is true as well. Do you find yourself in positions of power? in your family, in your flat, in your workplace, amongst your friends, and maybe even here at church. Or maybe your physicality, you're just bigger and stronger, you can be more intimidating. Are there situations where you have influence, where you have influence to make decisions, to pull levers, to give advice, to throw your weight or your wealth around? If you find yourselves in positions of power, and we all do at different times, do you use your power and influence for the good of others? Do you use your power and influence for the good of others or do you just use it for your own benefit? Do you use your positions of authority to see truth and justice upheld? Or do you use your positions of power to perpetuate injustice? To keep going false narratives that serve you and those you like? Micah himself is actually a great model for us. Uh, Micah the prophet himself. Look, at, look in uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, this is him speaking for himself. He says this, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare Jacob his transgressions, to Israel his sins. You see, Micah here is using his power for good. Micah is using his position to expose uh, sin to call out injustice, to call the wicked to account, to warn people that God's judgment is coming and for them to return back to him. But here we see that God has had enough of the sin of the rulers of Israel. Uh, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble and, and so will the temple. And like we saw last week, God's judgment finally came. It really did come when Israel was taken in exile off to Babylon. 
But we also saw last week that God was determined to save his people. Yes, he will judge them, but he will also use his power and his rule to save them. And so as we look at chapters 4 and 5, there's this dramatic contrast between the rulers of Israel who used their power to privilege themselves, a contrast between them and God who uses his power to bring justice and salvation. Uh, and that's the whole point of, God, of uh, chapters 4 and 5. God's powerful rule brings salvation. God's powerful rule brings salvation. And, and we see in these two chapters three areas where God extends his powerful rule. The first area is over the whole earth. Uh, God powerfully rules the world. Chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the Lord of to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. It's a beautiful picture of God powerfully ruling all the world from Jerusalem, from his city. And all the world kind of going up to the temple, brought up to God to live under his rule. Uh, now, if you remember uh, the end of chapter 3, uh, we just read, uh, Jerusalem was gonna, and the temple, they were to be devastated, they were to be destroyed. But here, all the nations are streaming to Jerusalem. They're all streaming up to the temple. So obviously, it's been rebuilt. God is promising some sort of new Jerusalem and some sort of new temple. And this rebuilt temple is a sure sign that God is powerfully ruling, that God has saved a people for himself. And God's powerful rule over the whole world will equal salvation for his people. The next thing we see is God ruling over Israel. We see him ruling over his people. Uh, From exile in Babylon, God will powerfully rule over his people as he draws them back out and reestablishes them. Uh, Have a look at verse 7 of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 7. I will make the lame my remnant. Those driven away, they will become a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. You see, Israel was driven away. They were sent into exile. But they will return a strong nation. In other words, they will be saved from exile. Uh, And the end of verse 7 says, when will they be saved? Well, they'll be saved when the Lord rules over them. That's when salvation will come for Israel, when the Lord rules over them, when God uses his great and mighty power to save them. Uh, And the the final uh, thing we see uh, here is God's powerful rule, first over the world, then over Israel, and then now over Israel's enemies. Uh, Have a look at chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, Speaking about Jerusalem, it's called Zion here, verse 11. Uh, But now many nations are gathered against you, They say, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gloat over Zion, that is Jerusalem. Uh, It's this picture of these nations gathering around and against Jerusalem. They're gathered to defeat and defile God's people. But as they gather around God's people to defeat them, there'll be this reversal of fortunes. God will now be the one who's gathering the nations. They won't be gathered in order to defeat God's people, but God will gather them for judgment, verse 12. But they do not know it. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. That he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing threshing floor. You see, the the nations had gathered. 
but they've gathered for threshing. It's a picture of God's judgment on them. And through this, God's people, they are safe because these nations, these enemies of God's people, they'll be destroyed. Verse 13, rise and thresh, daughter Zion, for I'll give you the horns of iron, I'll give you hooves of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. You see, Israel will no longer be threatened by her enemies when God rules them powerfully in judgment. And we see it over and over again. God's rule brings salvation for his people. God's rule over the world, God's rule over Israel itself, God's rule over Israel's enemies, God's powerful rule here, it brings salvation. Now, if you were an Israelite who had been living in Jerusalem and then being conquered and taken off into exile into Babylon and you're living as a captive in Babylon, this would have been very comforting for you. To find out that one day you'll be saved by God, that he will defeat your enemies, that he'll rule the whole earth, that he'll lead you out of captivity and back into the land. But like we saw last week, when Israel did return, when the exiles did come back, it was all a bit of a dud. It didn't look like the glory that we see here in chapter 4, but we get a clue in chapter 5 as to when this salvation, when this God's rule leading to salvation, when it will be realized. Uh, Have a look at uh, verse 1. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1, it's it's talking to Jerusalem, the city, and says, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the the cheek with a rod. Uh, It's talking about a time when Jerusalem will be under siege (coughs) and where Israel's ruler will be struck, but then another ruler will come in their place from Bethlehem. Verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Uh, Now when you hear Bethlehem, uh, a ruler coming from Bethlehem, who are you thinking about? Jesus. Well done, Andy. He went to Sunday school. Good job. God, Jesus, Bible. Um, uh, That's right. We We hear Bethlehem and we're thinking Jesus. Uh, If you're an Israelite and you heard Bethlehem, well, you're thinking King David. Bethlehem was King David's hometown. And you'd also be thinking about the promise that God gave to King David, that one day one of his descendants would rule and reign forever. The Messiah would come from the line of David. And here in Micah chapter 5, it says that uh, this promised one, when they come... This promised one from the town of David, from Bethlehem, when they come, that's when Israel will be saved. Verse 4, chapter 5. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. You see, when when the promised one of David comes... When he comes, then Israel will be saved. When the promised one of Bethlehem comes, he will rule with power. He will rule in the strength of the Lord. And it says his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and Israel, God's people, will live securely. They'll be at peace. They'll live at peace with God and with the world when the promised one for Bethlehem comes and rules over them. And so what Micah is establishing for us, what Micah is showing us, is that God's power and God's rule, it brings salvation. 
When God exercises his power and authority, he brings salvation for his people. And in contrast to the wicked leaders of Israel, when, when they uh, exercised their power and rule, it led to injustice and idolatry and greed and judgment. But God's rule, it leads to justice, to truth and to salvation. And the promised one, the promised one has come. Uh, If you're familiar with the Christmas story, you might remember the angels as they're speaking to the shepherds in the field. The angels say, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, Jesus was the one from the town of Bethlehem that Micah spoke of. Jesus is the promised son of David. Jesus is the saviour. He is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is God's powerful ruler who brings salvation for God's people. And his greatness has reached the ends of the earth. And the blessings of his powerful life, well, it's not just for Israel, well, it's for us as well if we trust and follow the Lord Jesus. And it's worth us realising here that that salvation that we cherish That salvation we cherish, it goes hand in hand with God's powerful rule. God's salvation and God's rule, they go together. You can't have one without the other. You can't have Jesus as your saviour and not have him as your ruler or as your Lord. Micah chapter 4 and 5 say that when God rules, then his people are saved. And Jesus is Lord, he is ruler and saviour. And he has to be both. He has to be both. If Jesus is your Lord, then he is your saviour. If he is your saviour, then he has to be your Lord. Uh, it's like being married and being a spouse. Um, there's, not, there's a few of us in the room who are married. Uh, uh, if you're married then by definition, you are a spouse. And if you're a spouse, then by definition, you must be married. Both things go together. You can't have one without the other. And so if Jesus is your Lord, he is your saviour. And if he is your saviour, then he has to be your Lord. Now, as people who are broken and, uh, and corrupted and selfish and... Uh, we, we want to pry this apart. We want to, we want to take these things apart. We want Jesus to be our saviour. Of course we want his death for us on the cross. That pays for our sin. Of course we want the forgiveness and mercy that flows from that. Of course we want the gift of eternal life with God. Of course we want him to be our saviour. But we want all of that whilst not letting him be our Lord. Whilst still running our life our own way. Whilst keeping our seat planted to the throne and the crown firmly on our head as we call the shots. We want Jesus the Saviour, but we don't want Jesus the Lord. We want God's grace, but we don't want God's rule over our life. And one of the confronting things here from Micah chapters 3 to 5 is it just doesn't work like that. We can't separate the two. If we want God to save, then we need to let God rule. Because God's powerful rule in the Lord Jesus, it brings salvation. 
Uh, the Apostle Peter, when he stands up at Pentecost and uh, first proclaims the gospel to those who are gathered there in uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, he ties these things together for us. Uh, he says this uh, to the people there. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, both Lord and Saviour, both Lord and the promised rescue promised rescuer from God. God's powerful rule in the Lord Jesus, it brings salvation. Have you let Jesus rule your life? Because when you do, then you'll experience his wonderful salvation. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, um, we're aware that power is abused in our world either by us or by others, and it makes us call out to you, Lord, bring justice, bring salvation. And so, Lord, we long for your rule over us and over our world, a rule that leads to salvation. And, Lord, help us not to resist your rule, but to let you reign in our lives and in our world. And we pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.